0: Hello there, and welcome to Music Speaks. My name, of course, is Sean Ramkunis. That guy over there is Hunter Zagona, and we like to say that this podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. Hunter and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique to music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, everything in between. Today our topic is about the Brandenburg Concerto Number 1, and again, as last time we thought it was very professional to check another quote by Bach, so here we go. If I decide to be an idiot, then I'll be an idiot on my own accord, said Bach.
1: All right, according to Wikipedia and our friends there, Bach wrote out the music himself for presentation to the Margrave rather than leave it to a copyist. While he took the opportunity to revise the music, most likely it was not freshly composed. He appeared to have selected the six pieces from concertos that he had composed over the number of years while the Kapellmeister at the Kotten, and possibly extending back to his employment at the Weimar, Bach's dedication to the Margrave was dated as March 24th, 1721. Translated from the original French, the first sentence of Bach's dedication reads, As I have the good fortune to... Sorry, as I have the good fortune a few years ago to be heard by Your Royal Highness, at Your Royal Highness's commands, and as I noticed then Your Royal Highness took some pleasure in the little talents which heaven has given me for music, And, as in taking leave of your Royal Highness, your Highness deigned to honor me with the command to send your Highness some pieces of my composition. I have, in accordance with your Highness's most gracious orders, taken the liberty of rendering my most humble duty to your Royal Highness with the present concertos which I have adapted to several instruments, begging your highnesses most humbly not to judge their imperfection with the rigor of that discriminating and sensitive taste, which everyone knows him to have for musical works, but rather to take into benign consideration the profound respect and the most humble obedience, which I thus attempt to show him." That was florid. Basically a nice way of saying I hope you like it, don't judge it too harshly. <laughs> Bach's reference to his scoring the concertos for several instruments is an understatement. Bach uses the widest spectrum of orchestral instruments in daring combinations, as Christian Wolff has commented. Every one of the six concertos set a precedent in scoring and every one remained without parallel. Heinrich Besseller uh, Bestseller has noted that overall force is required, leaving aside the first concerto, which was written for a special occasion, tallies exactly with the 17 players Bach had in his original disposal at the Koten, or in Koten. So with that, let's talk a little bit about the Brandenburg Number 1. All right, quick service announcement before we get started. Uh, If you'd like to support this podcast, please go to Anchor and search... Music Speaks podcast to find ways to reach out to us and you will find our social media handles and other ways that you can contribute to said podcast. However, because this is about Brandenburg number 1 and we haven't yet talked about it, let's start. Hmm. Uh the Brandenburg number 1 is scored for uh horns 1 and 2, three oboes, a bassoon, uh small violin or violino um and two larger regular sized violins as well as viola with a continued bass basso continuo and what's interesting is actually when you look at the the instrumentation the way the parts are grouped the uh what do you call it the um cello continuo and bassoon or as it's referred to in italian scores the fagotto Mm. it they're all the same part. They're basically tripling the same part. They have minor variations here and there, but particularly in this first movement, they're very, very similar, if not exactly the same. I don't know if you noticed the same thing,
0: right? Uh, his couplings in this are, are pretty basic. Um, uh, and you can look down the barrel and say exactly who's playing what you have. I believe four different identical identifiable lines in the beginning. Um, with the mm-hmm. uh, horn playing the same line as the piccolo violin and the uh, violin one and the violin two and the viola. So that's mm-hmm. one line there. You have the same line with PD with the oboes and the I believe that that line the b da da is actually just one so I'm gonna count that as one and then actually I, I was wrong so there's actually just identifiable three with mm-hmm. The tune, and then the continuo and the cello. So, yes.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking at the basics of the piece, I mean, it, it's you know it's in F major and in this beginning one, uh, this beginning movement, it's in simple meter, um, a pretty safe way of uh, of starting out. And I mean, F major is nothing too. Ex- I like F major personally. I think it has a very warm sound to it. Um, I I like playing an F on piano. Um, So I think it's a good way to sort of get people's attention, get them started.
0: Yeah. Well, most people thought of F major as a pastoral key. Very relaxing, (laughs) very beautiful. Um, Beethoven six, the pastoral symphony is in F major. And I believe that that, religious aspect sort of carried along the way till that point where beethoven used it so Mm -hmm. i think that uh like you said it's um very peaceful i think it this first movement is very joyous but also playful yeah
1: it's not quite as grand as say the opening of his um magnificat when we looked at that the other time
0: right yeah and you get the imps and you get the seraphims and they're jumping around and they're Dancing with each other, and I think that that's what Bach was sort of going for, with those um, those wood elves and those uh, those angels dancing around and enjoying nature, you know. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is,
1: you know, I'm. It's really exemplified in the fact that you know there's this particular op- uh, movement it doesn't have a lot of long tones, and to be honest, throughout the whole piece, there's not really a lot of long tones. A lot of it is very much based on 8th notes, 16th notes, right. and it gives that constant sense of movement. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, when I, I took this from Wikipedia, it actually gave really no specific tempo indication. Mm-hmm. And most people either perform this first movement, because usually for most first movement, it is usually Allegro or a Allegro Moderato. So it's not super fast. Mm-hmm. But it does sort of play within the framework of a faster tempo. That's what we right. go with, too. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. There's something
1: else that I, that, you know, going along with something that's not notated, if you look at the score, there are really no accent marks notated, which doesn't seem, I mean, it might seem odd for modern players, but given that this is a Baroque piece of music, at the time, you know, the accents would have been something that people would have known what was expected of them. You know what I mean? It was like a very uh, implicit culture at the time. Things were not explicitly stated. If you were a musician at the time, you had to know how things were expected to be played. If they needed to be marcato, if they needed right. to be legato. I also think it, it's right. also
0: a little bit of performance practice too. So mm-hmm. Bach would also assume that because you're doing this, it just makes sense that because he doesn't need to write in, it's just universally known at that time.
1: Exactly right. That's exactly what I. That's exactly what I'm saying.
0: Right, right. And I, I think it's really great that he starts in the key of F major. Um, and I, I wanted to mention this quickly because mm-hmm. we, I really do want to talk about tonal centers. Um, and I hear the audience going, Ugh! "No, I'm kidding." <laughs> um, talking about the expansion of tonality in this opening work. Um, mm-hmm. And what people like to do when they look at Bach is they like to they pick up the, the root, the fourth, and the fifth. And something that we think about right away when we think of those chords are F major, mm-hmm. E flat major being the fourth, and C major. And it's really easy to go then from, let's then explore some other keys and explore some... Uh, different kinds of sounds. So let's go, okay, so from F we get D, D minor, the relative minor, D flat to G, G minor, and C to A minor. And some people might say, I don't really think that A minor is in the key of F major. Well, it's not. What, What Bach does really successfully is he goes from the tonic to the dominant, and then he sets it up really well so that he sets up the deceptive cadence to A minor which is really beautiful. And I think um, this, I believe this first movement isn't super melodic, but I think he does a really great job in this first movement of exploring keys and exploring centers of different kinds of of notes. Um, And I also want to ask you something, too. There's a really interesting line in the horn part where no other instruments are playing triplets except for the horn part. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noted that too. Yeah. I don't really understand why he did that, but I think it's and it's not and it's not very intentional. It, it sounds wrong, but mm-hmm. if you do it right, it sounds right, you know? Yeah. So it, it's one of those weird creatures where you look at it and you're like, okay, ta ta and that makes sense. But you know, I I I I really don't really get why he does that as a separate entity. Like you check out Mm -hmm. all the lines like we were mentioning, he has similar motives going around and it's really easy to figure out who's doing what at right time. But introducing a triplet rhythm over a quadruple rhythm doesn't really fit well.
1: But if I had to guess, I mean, the only thing I could think about that, not to interrupt you, is no. um, you know, it. First of all, it's in the horns, right? And the, and the mm-hmm. horns historically have been a in uh, they've been an instrument of announcement, of proclamation, of grandeur. And if he was going to be performing this piece for a um, margrave, which is a, a, a title, sort of like a um, right. sort of like a duke, um, if he was going to be giving it for him maybe the horns are supposed to represent the duke him, the the margrave himself and by putting mm-hmm. it in the the triplet feel or, yeah. or not not triple fifth triplet rhythm yeah. right it makes it stand out almost like a a pronouncement over everything else to sort exactly. of to sort of say hey pay attention this is for you or hey pay attention audience go recognize him it's all for him right. Sort of just like an in-your-face type yeah, thing. I'm
0: so glad you even read that letter that Bach was basically on his knees <clears throat> saying, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You know, And I mm-hmm. believe that that was intentional. I mean, a lot of people would say that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But historically, looking at the score, I mean, Hunter, I'm sure you're looking at a different score than I am, but the horn part is on top.
1: Yeah, same with mine.
0: So, and, 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 and in my in my vision and looking at this, it just makes sense that the loudest voice, the loudest brass instrument is at the top. Right. And representing, and, and Bach, in representing, uh, and it's obviously really hard to make that assumption without text, but we can assume that because of the different rhythm, that that is where we might even want to get our attention to because it is almost, because... Of the horn just kind of staying in basically c major at that time you know and also Mm -hmm. the distinction of the different rhythms that are going on you know and it's almost like hey look at me over here check me out over here you know
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it's almost like that you know in a way so yeah plus i think
1: Plus, I think also, you know, it, it's not so out of the realm of possibility, but yeah. it would be enough for someone to turn their head, right? If they heard that out of nowhere, they'd say, oh, that was right. different. And that would keep their attention. Because, I mean, as we know, the music of the Baroque era, it, it can sound, especially to the modern listener, all very similar. If you're not, repetitive. you don't know what you're listening for.
0: It can be repetitive, sure. Yeah. Right,
1: exactly. And even for, who knows, for the, when I say modern in this case now, i I mean at their time for the, the period audiences, maybe right. even they found it a little bit repetitive. So you throw a little something in there that changes things up, but it's still keeping with tradition. So they're comfortable with it, but then a little something to say, you know, we jazz it up a little.
0: Right. And I think there's a really great uh example of that in Haydn's music. Mm-hmm. Haydn would maybe also play with dynamics to get the attention of the court. You right. Know? Especially, um, I believe it's the, uh, it's the, maybe the clock, or maybe the bump boom, 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 bing, bing, boom, 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 It's almost that way where it's like, boom, 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 bong, bing, bing, boom. But I just want to point our attention to the last two bars of this first movement, where if you pull over mm-hmm. to a counter, he uses those triplet rhythms, and it is so—I'm not going to say distracting, but it almost pulls us in to say, "Wow!" You get those four over threes, you know, beep 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 versus da 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 versus da 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 Mm-hmm. It grabs your attention, and no other instrument in that section plays that note. Play those, play those rhythms, I mean. Right. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and something else that also adds to it is that those last two measures, I'm glad you brought it up, there's no ritardando at the end at all. No. no. Or I mean, at least I- there's none notated. Maybe on that very last, uh, like, and of beat 2 into beat 3, where the fermata is, You could say some people slow down, because like in the performance I listened to, there's a little bit of a a slowdown, but not really. I mean, it's pretty barrel forward to the end, which, you know, you play those triplet rhythms on top of the the 16th note rhythms. It can sound a little off-putting, but I don't know. I think it works because they all just sort of resolve back on the, the final note.
0: That's right. And like you said, I think that's a really great example of performance practice where Mm -hmm. um, Bach believed that in ensembles, if you're going to retard, just do it in the last few seconds right at the end, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's really no point. You're just going to keep chugging away until you really just hit that end cadence, you know? Right. Yeah, which is really clear. Um, So I think it'd be a good point to us to move to the second movement. I agree. Yeah. Oh, I'm starting. Yeah, sure. Tell me what you thought about the second movement.
1: Sure. So first thing that struck me is, um, this is the movement I was thinking of that. This is the slower one. Um, so it's in D minor Mm -hmm. and that's sort of the, the first obvious thing that you, that you note when you're playing it and right off the bat, the tempo's down a lot. We've changed meters. We're now in a, a compound meter and gives it a little bit of a different feel overall to the piece. Right. But the first real specific thing that I note is the melody is given to the oboe. Mm-hmm. Oboe one, mm-hmm. for the most part, right at the beginning. And the natural sound of the oboe, I find, is very suited to the minor key.
0: Okay.
1: At least that, that's something, in my opinion, I think. You know, more so than, say, if you were to give it to the trumpet. Trumpet can play things in minor key, obviously, just like anything else. But I find that the the timbre of the oboe really plays well in minor key. Sure, and I think
0: the reason why that does that is because of the line. Mm -hmm. Um, Just check out each individual line going from A to G to F to C sharp to E Mm -hmm. back. F you know, yep. It's almost very clear of that descending line moving its way down. And I think we move to hmm, I think we move to the key of oh man. I would I would like to say we're in the key of D minor. That's right. I, I know I know it's interestingly enough that we uh we actually start on a A major chord ironically
1: Yes, which is very odd.
0: Yeah, because they
1: throw the C-sharp in there
0: And we we kind of keep it for a while actually up until the first release of maybe the third downbeat But it Mm -hmm. still isn't in root position all the way until maybe the fifth measure
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, because yeah, you have a a a and then well measure 4 starts on a starts on an E. No, I'm sorry. It's a, no, it's not. It's a it's a A again, but it's up an octave. <laughs> I was reading in treble clef. Stupid <laughs> stupid clarinetist that I am. Um what would you say fifth measure? Yeah, fifth measure it changes.
0: Yeah, we don't really get a clear resolution until we get to D minor in the measure measure 5. Ironically. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really interesting that you said that, and um, it's really interesting that this is a very slow six. I I'd believe a conductor would maybe do this in six, not in three, because it's too slow mm-hmm. to do three. Um, and I think there's something that's really interesting about this movement is the transitioning between voices, who has the melody. Right. Um, there is because yeah,
1: it jumps from oboe one.
0: Right. So there's a four-measure phrase that starts it out, and then it is taken over by the violin piccolo. Correct. That is then transformed all the way for another four bars to, let's say, who wants the melody now? The bassoon and the cello and the basso. Right. The three parts
1: who are already sharing parts. They never seem to do anything alone.
0: That's right. Yeah. So they keep that for three bars... And then let's look at who has the melody. Who has the melody again?
1: And then jumps back to oboe one, which is being doubled by, uh, who's that, a violino?
0: Yes, however, do they play in unison or do they play in comparison of one another? Uh,
1: It looks like comparison because the oboe part starts on beat one and the uh, violino part starts on beat two.
0: Right, and thus begins this very slow transition to this very, in, very tight back and forth of playing. Of right,
1: playing each other. until uh, I think the second beat of... I don't know what measure that is, but where they start playing in comparison go one, two, three more bars and mm-hmm. oboe 1 has the dotted 8th and 16th, and uh, violino has the two quarter, the two eighth notes, and then mm-hmm. they both come back in on beat 2 All
0: together. Right. Yeah, and something interesting that happens again is Bach wants to put that melody back in again, so he just swaps the parts again. So what he does is then he gives the melody to the violin piccolo uh, in that next measure, uh, where he goes okay violin piccolo you have the melody and then again who then takes over the the, the counter melody the, the elbow the elbow does yeah
1: yeah because they uh, they have this dotted quarter eighth note or three eighth notes part
0: right yeah and mm-hmm. I love that I, and then almost check out the last one two three four five six bars mm-hmm and take a look at that oboe line. You know, mm-hmm. and that's an interesting—that's
1: an interesting part since you brought the attention to that. The last four bars, you have this sort of not staggered, but the each beat has somebody who plays on it, but it's different every time. So someone's always playing, but the note is is swapped to or is thrown basically to each person. It's sort of like musical popcorn.
0: Right. Yeah. And what chord do we get at the end of of this piece?
1: Uh, let's see here. We have Well, we're back on, we got A on on the bottom, and we have C sharp, so it looks like we're back to A major chord. A major. Right. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy, despite the minor key of the song.
0: However, Bach says this is in D minor, but can we make a case that this movement itself is in A major? I I mean, you
1: could. I mean, I noted one chord that really stood out to me, a a chord change. Measure 6 to 7 of this one. there is, uh, and where's six? One, two, three, four, five, six. The chord change—it's very striking because it goes from um, a D major chord, mm-hmm. which they have a C natural in passing, um, adding, giving it that minor feel. And I think it goes to believe it or not, an E seven, and they have a C sharp in there. Um, So it just goes to show he's he's toying between major and minor.
0: Right. Yeah. And the ending
1: doesn't really resolve.
0: Doesn't. So it begs the question, Bach writes this in D minor, but is this whole piece in D minor, or is the D minor the flat 4, or the minor 4? And And he's just
1: writing the whole song around it?
0: Yeah, or just writing it around it, because you have A major encompassing basically the whole tune mm-hmm. it starts in A major. So can we designate this movement as A major?
1: I mean, I guess you could, I'm sure that wasn't what he was going for, but then again, I don't know, maybe it was.
0: Yeah. And also there are some really great um, moments with musical exp- exploration of tone and reason in this section that sort of like I think I said this about maybe the the magnificat moments where because it's slower he's able to explore more gestures, you I think especially that that last that last oboe line, and I'm I'm just gonna take a look at if this is da
1: Right, there's that jump from the uh, E to the uh, A.
0: Yeah, it it is it is beautiful. It is so beautiful. What chord does he encompass in that uh, in this sort of penultimate bar of holding out this oboe? Beautiful oboe line. He is basically holding out a C sharp half diminished or a, a fully diminished seven sound. C sharp E G B flat. Oh yeah, you're right, because it's B flat. And then as he moves forward, we get. Um, it's really interesting. We get lay. Do do re mi fa so lay so fa. Right or lay so. Right. Mm-hmm. Ha, uh, may, right, and that may, or actually, um, I'm trying to think because we're in the key of, of, of D minor. Le so wait, 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 hold on. I'm, I'm being really stupid. It's do te le do te le so so te da 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 da. da, da. It's that, and that ends on A major. That it, it is so brilliantly written. It is so um, complex, but um, I love the way, like you said, with giving different notes, different beats, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ending on boom, blam, boom, blam, blam, and boom, blam, blam, blam. <laughs> you know, it, that is such a Bach line, and it almost like I almost felt like he wrote that on organ before he wrote it. Compositionally down on paper, you know what I mean.
1: I could see that. Yeah. I could see him sort of just plugging away at it.
0: Yeah, and, and then like, say that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I agree with you on that. I think it's a really great way of um, putting it down like that. Um, and again, we talk about this with Bach, but the the line of the descending sound makes it sound really sad. Um, well, sure, because
1: the bass part in that is going down,
0: right? Yeah. Um, and I don't think I don't really think that Bach meant it to be like one, two, three, one, two, three, but like a one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. five, six. Really, just kind of like very spacious, very open. And I love that about the way that Bach puts that together, like that. So. Hey Hunter, I think it's a great time for us to take and a then, break. What do you think? Oh, you you have something else to say?
1: No, I was just gonna say, being the horn player that you are, why do you think he left them out of this movement?
0: He doesn't need them in this movement. They're mm-hmm. they're mainly used for horn calls, if anything. Um, I I really think that there was this distinction of of uh, just sound. They don't. Yeah. Really, I don't think they would really sound good in this movement.
1: Yeah. So do you um, think they're, he would find them gratuitous?
0: Almost to a point, yeah. I mean, yeah. like he could have had them play very low chords, very quietly, but I think at the time it was very appropriate to write it in the fashion that most people would be like, you know what, don't give the horn part this one. I would say that that would be the... Something that most composers at that time would say, if we're going to have a loud bright movement, of course, give it to the horns or give it to the brass. But for those very soft and tender moments, I don't think he would want to go to the brass. I think he would want to stay with strings and and woodwinds there. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I think this is a great time for a break, as I was mentioning. uh, Yes. We've got more to talk about. But for those who are tired about listening to our handles, I'm sorry, but For those who are just joining us, uh, we are on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on TikTok, and we are on YouTube. For Twitter, we are at musicspeaks underscore pod. For Instagram, we are musicspeaks underscore podcast. For TikTok, we are at Speaks underscore podcast. And for YouTube, we are musicspeaks podcast. Uh, This is sponsored by our friends at Anchor and hunter don't go away i know you're trying to sneak away right now in this, this google me we're trying to do but you can't leave just yet so we were going to talk about some more buck when we come back see you soon okay hunter we're back you want to keep going with number three
1: sure all right so movement numero three. we have uh of it, it's it's Basically, I don't want to say it's callback to the first movement, but you're definitely returning to more of the move, the feeling of the first movement. And the horns have returned. We're back in the key of F. We're still in a compound meter, but it's it's not quite the same. So it gives it a little bit of a different feel from the first uh, first movement. And how would you how would you describe the the feeling of this particular movement in comparison to the first one?
0: Well, um, the first time we get a compound sound, Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely lighter um, than than the previous movement. Um, And I think that Bach does that intentionally. (laughs) I think it's a a great way of getting back to the sound. And you were asking me right before we we finished up from the break um, about the horns. Where are Mm -hmm. they? They're right here. They get Sound to play, them. They get to play the melody. And like you were mentioning early on, like it's almost, and it's uh, it acts as if a, um, a call and response right away. Mm-hmm. You know. You know? uh mm-hmm. we're obviously in the key of f major um it is yeah. hard sometimes because i know that for horns horns have to uh not have to transpose but this part is in f so that was very easy for bach to go bam this is what i want to do it so it easily enough was written in c uh because a a fifth below c is F. so very easily enough to written for for mm-hmm. f horn um what did I write down for this movement? I wrote that uh, we are Bach in F major. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we are in a brisk 6-8. And Hunter, I'm not sure if you agree with this, but this movement really flew by very quickly.
1: It does. It has a yeah. constant, uh, constant moving feel to it, much like the first one, but I think even more so, which I think might be contributed to by the fact that it's funny because I noted it also, even though the first movement is in compound meter, it doesn't have a compound feel. It has more of a simple feel to it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I feel like is because it's 3-4 and not 3-8. Um, and this one, the I, I've always found that the the triplet, the, the compound feel does add more mo- inherent movement to a piece and make, it makes it feel more fluid, it makes it feel faster, um, and that could be why it feels like it, it just moves along so much more rapidly. Yeah.
0: And it's fast. And um, something that I notice about this movement is that Bach finally gets to showcase the violin mm-hmm. at its best. At its peakest, I think, in, in, in my in my impression.
1: Yeah. Well, if you look five bars in, right, we've got this, this descending pattern that the oboes are doubling with the violins. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is the, the first beat of E or the first, um, what do you call it? The first beat every two beats is this descending pattern, Mm -hmm. which is contrasted by Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but point being is that this descending pattern, the violins and oboes are going crazy, which is sort of to your point, they're getting to showcase their their dexterity, their versatility, which is, which is cool to hear. Right.
0: It's a really great moment for the violin, especially at measure, um, going into page 17 of my score, uh, where you get to see triple stops, and, and that, it just sounds like the violin is working so hard, but it is just so beautiful. And um, I love the sound of those keys. Uh, and it, it's, just, it's almost like, um, f- for me, this movement almost acts as if a teaching moment for students mm-hmm. because of the half cadence to cadence sound, PAC sort of teaching or teachable moments, saying, oh, look, this is a half cadence. Oh, look, this is a PAC, perfect, a perfect way to describe this to students. And this movement was really great to just look at and just dissect a little bit. Um, uh, the repeated patterns do sort of end up following the right way. Um, and you're probably wondering, is there anything else interesting about this movement? Yes, there is. There is an adagio that just happens to be in the middle of this movement. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, for those who are wondering, uh, this is a really great moment to, again, keep an eye on the violin and then mm-hmm. sort of play around with the whole, uh, not cadence, but we get our first um, cadential figure that it features the violin. Not like a... What What am I thinking of, Hunter? It's sort of like a, we get a nice five chord or we get, what kind of chord do we get here? Let's see. In the Adagio? In the Adagio. We get a B flat, F, B flat. Okay, so we end up on a B flat chord, right? Mm hmm. So almost like a five that then sets up four, five, and then leads us back to our home key of F major flourishes out all the way to the end of this movement and just really makes a great impact on the sound of joyous 6-8 and i think it just you know mm-hmm. almost doesn't have to end in time you know it just has to just end you know it doesn't mm-hmm. have to slow down it just ends off <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> so finite Right. Yeah. Well, certainly more finite than the previous movement, which is maybe why he does it. You know, the adagio that's in there. It. Right. It's. I'm sure to bring attention to the fact that technically, from the previous movement, the endings haven't resolved because he didn't resolve the ending of right. um, mm-hmm. the second movement. So we're. You know, people are still really waiting for some sort of resolution. That's right. Adagio. You know, faking you out. Out Like, oh look, I still haven't resolved even though we didn't do it last measure and that our last movement But now we're gonna finish it out and finally resolve at the end.
0: That's right Yeah, I, he does it really well and ends with a flourish and even before you think it's over it just it, it ends You know, it's just like mm-hmm. oof, It's gone, you know, and off we go to the fourth movement, you know, yep so, uh, And I want to just read this through I love this the, the, the way uh, most publishers write this out, but Minuet to Trio 1, to Minuet to Capo, polacca, <laughs> Minuet to Capo, Trio 2, Minuet to Capo. Wow. Oof. Well, this, this one particularly is, is very strange um, in my mind because I believe the other five Brandenburgs don't have a fourth movement. No, I don't think they do. I mean, if if you're if I'm wrong, Bach just let me in the face. But I believe that Brandenburg One is the only one that has four movements. Um, and this movement acts as a corral for that, and what he does with it, it almost acts as a variation movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it. it didn't we read that this movement was, or this concerto was the only one that was actually commissioned, meaning like this one was written for a purpose. Right. And if you're gonna be performing to a a noble court or having a work premiered, um, I know this this being a minuet, that's a form of dance. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's a polaca section later. Um, and, it, and obviously there's the trail in the middle, but polaca might also be a form of dance. I, I can't remember, but, um, it would, again, would be because we're in the Baroque era, I would imagine it was expected that there's always some form of dance section, even if you're not going to be actually dancing to it, but maybe that's why he added it in there just before the ending.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, and it is very, like, this variation movement, because he sets up the chorale very nicely. Mm-hmm. And as we move along away from that, we mm-hmm. then go from the— uh, we go to different sections of the orchestra, which is really exciting. Yes, they, they sort got, of trade off. Because then we get the trio of the two oboes and the fagotto or the bassoon, and they play together, and then we get the polaca, which is the uh, violin. Um, Interestingly enough, um, the first movement, because we're in F major, he starts, he ends in F major. Mm -hmm. However, the first trio is actually in D minor.
1: First trio in D. Yeah, yes, it is.
0: Yeah, and that is our first variation. So he goes Mm -hmm. from major to minor to the oboes.
1: And again, the minor, just to bring attention to it, going back to the the second movement of the whole piece, again, minor key in the trio, and it's only oboes and bassoon, both of which, like I said previously, are very suited to that minor sound. And then he chooses to bring it back with an all-string section in the polaca back to major.
0: Right. And then in the polaca... He then varies the rhythm. And not that, obviously not that fast, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that that is the new sound and he moves it into 3 mm-hmm. 8. However,. We, w- people are wondering, yeah, okay, so that's that's definitely a part of the variation, but where, where does it lie in the second phrase of the polaka? We get, <speaking in Spanish> it, It's so beautiful that it ends that way, but the difference of the articulation that is written with, purpose, Bum, ba-da-dum, ba-da-deen, ba-da-dum, ba-da-deen, ba-da-dum. and the other instruments are going bump, pump 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 pump. you know, it's really definitely yep. different than what we had been hearing before. And then, what does he do with the trio? He then makes it into a two horn solo duet with oboes.
1: Right, with the oboes. F- no strings. F-
0: no strings, just two horns, and then oboe, and this movement, particularly, I found in my recording, Hunter, that mm-hmm. it was faster than the other than the previous three, uh, three, three, three parts.
1: Um, yeah, I'd say that's true. In the one I listened to, it's a little bit faster than the others.
0: Yeah, and it was a little more pointed. You know, I I hate for the horns to have to go C to high C. That's insane. Um, How about
1: C to shining C?
0: She yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, very beautiful section. And so, what he does in this section, instead of keeping it in three, he just puts it in two. Um, and adds maybe more of a lively tempo. So mm-hmm. in this movement, I believe he gets more of a a variation sound from all these different movements.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that unlike a lot of his unlike a lot of composers' works. He doesn't end this with the full orchestra.
0: Oh no, he does. He does. He does. He just um what he does is he goes back to the minuetto, which is the beginning of the of I the, see right because
1: movie. it says minuetto da Capo sinala
0: fine. So that means that after right. we get the last horn and oboe entry, we go mm-hmm. back to the beginning. Go back to then finish the, it out with the whole And group. then we, we end on the second ending together. And that's mm-hmm. it. Like, and, and I believe right. in most recordings uh, to play through this, you usually play it through first ending, second ending, first ending, second ending. But then through the variations, you come back to the same movement, but then you skip the first movement, first ending. you go straight to the second ending.
1: Right. I think I think a lot of classical pieces, yeah, do that. It's just sort of a way I think of keeping the the motion going, so it doesn't sound like it gets stale. Right. At all. And
0: this is the most uncommon because most movements usually end in allegro, but Bach ended up making this movement more directly to to sort of honor the royal highness, in a way.
1: Right, in which case it would be more stately and probably march-like rather than uh, fast.
0: Right, because most people would assume- Or
1: allegro-spirited, that- right? So it you'd be, be more composed, therefore.
0: Right. and. To sort of break down the next Brandenburg, we have Allegro, Adagio, Allegro, right? Totally mm-hmm. different than this one because Bach does this very slow. And when I initially saw this movement, I thought, oh, it's going to be fast, but no. Boom, 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 boom. It's beautiful. So beautiful, you know? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. very unexpected too, but really Mm -hmm. well crafted and well written, very well, you know, and um, very uh, interesting. This movement, a lot of people would say, "Oh, why doesn't he end on a fast flourish?" Well, he wanted to honor the person who he was writing this for, you know. Right.
1: Yeah. Right, and you and especially at the time, you know, a a royal, a nobleman wouldn't want to be have something that's for them to be seen as anything other than stately and and uh, refined, which too fast is not refined. That's not stately, that's almost chaotic, it's almost mm-hmm. peasant like. So that's why they'd want it to be a little um little like pull it back a little bit, make it more reserved to mirror their absolutely, demeanor.
0: Absolutely, my friend, absolutely.
1: Yep. And with that, I think, Sean, have we covered all of the Brandenburg 1?
0: I think we have. Isn't that pretty incredible? It
1: is pretty incredible.
0: And uh, I'd like to uh, thank you, Hunter, for being here and talking to more about Bach. And next time we will talk about Brandenburg 2. So uh, we will see you next time. And thanks again. And thank you, Bach, for your genius composition, and we can't wait for the second to come out. Uh, we're kidding. That is already out, and we will talk about that next time. My name is Sean Ramkunas.
1: And I'm Hunter Sagona, and remember, keep listening to what you love.